Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Happy Couples Act as if Their Marriage Matters, and it is part of the What Happy Couples Do Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Well, uh, we're in, uh, this is the last sermon in a series on what happy couples do. Started to call it what happy couples know, but you know, what you know doesn't really help. <laughs> it's what you do that makes the difference. Faith without works is dead. How many believe that God wants our relationships to be happy? Yes. Amen? The, the, the joy of the Lord is, is central to my relationship with Him. I measure my uh, spiritual maturity on how quickly I recover when something negative happens to me. Back when I was your pastor, it would take me three weeks to get over stuff that I get over in three hours now. Because <laughs> I've matured a little bit. <laughs> Um, the Bible says in, over in Proverbs, it's better to live alone in a tumble-down shack than to share a mansion with a nagging spouse. So if God put that in his word, he must have been interested that our marriages not be miserable, right? If, if we're intended to maintain the joy of the Lord to have in our relationship with him, then our relationship with one another should have some joy as well. What do you think? Now, we left off last week. We left off, I didn't know you, I didn't see you, I was like, where are they? We left off last week talking about marriage as a tug of war. And, uh, you know, there's things you, you differ, and you always find that, you know, uh, you, right away. Uh, I, I remember the first thing that Sherry and I had a tug of war about. I didn't know, you know, that, that she didn't eat lunch. And, and I remember we were getting ready. For, we got married twice. We got married in Massachusetts, and we drove to Florida, got married again. We're getting ready to get married. And I, I mean, in those days especially, I stopped and had lunch. I don't care. I don't care what was happening. I'm going to go have lunch. I'm going to stop. Whatever, there's no work more important. I got to go have lunch. When you know Sherry, when she gets, she gets focused on something, she doesn't need to eat. She just, she'll even come home now at dinner time and say, I didn't eat anything all day. And, and t- tell her, I tell her that's not good for her, okay? But she seems to be doing pretty well though, with that lifestyle, so maybe not. But uh, but marriage is a tug of war. Illustration: you 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 know, uh, you want a vacation in the Cape, and she wants a vacation in uh, the White Mountains. You know, will it be hardwood or carpet that we're going to put in the new floor in there? It, you know, uh, uh, are who gets up with a puppy at 3 a.m.? That's, that's what the, this couple, you know, has to, has to fight about. Who gets up with a puppy at 3 o'clock in the morning? Or do we go, do we stay home and cuddle or do we go rock climbing? Somebody's got to drop the rope. <laughs> or you're going to have tension in your marriage. <laughs> the only way to break the tension in your marriage Sometimes somebody's got to drop the rope, right? Now, 
the question we asked last week, yeah, give them a big hand. They're all awesome. They're awesome. That animal thing is true. We, we, we don't let anybody go to their small group unless we make sure they don't have any allergies to animals. Because they got more animals than the Southwick Animal Farm does. We asked the question, which I think is the, probably the greatest question I've ever heard. What would a humble person do right now? I think that, Rick, I think that's a great question. What would a humble person do, right? And you can use that question in a lot of places in your life, right? Now, if one party always has to be humble in your marriage, uh, 100% of the time, you got a problem, okay? You need to go, because marriage is supposed to be a negotiation. So one person, the same person shouldn't have to be humble every single time, right? Now, let's pick up. Uh, right there to give our fourth and final answer to what happy couples do. Now, we told you week one, happy couples have fun. Week two, we told you happy couples speak life into their relationship. Uh, week three, we, we said happy couples enhance each other's love maps. In other words, we use the illustration, if you look at a map on your, your device, or if you even, if you're all old school paper map, you, go, you find the enhanced area that shows the, where you want to travel. It shows the streets and shows maybe businesses and things like that. So you enhance the love map of your, of your spouse and you find out what, you, you ask them, what would it take to make you happy today? Now, so I prayed hard, racked my brain, what would be the most important last thing that we could tell you and we could talk about today? And it was really difficult to come up with something. I wanted to come up with something that would be a principle that you could apply and attach of a lot of other things too. So I went back to Genesis 1, and I took a look at the original marriage. Even if you're not religious here today, you've been to enough weddings to know the passage I'm talking about. And it says, God put the man into a deep sleep, Genesis 2, 21. And he slept, as he slept, he removed one of his ribs and replaced it with flesh. And you heard about the little boy who was, his side was hurting. He had just heard this Sunday school story about Adam and Eve. And he said, Mom, I think I'm having a wife. Uh, God then used this rib that he had taken from the man to make woman and presented her to the man. The man said, Finally, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, name her woman, for she has been made from the man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife. The two become one flesh. The two of, the ma- two of them, the man and the wife, were naked, and they felt, but they felt no shame. Now, here's what occurred to me. As I read that passage, and I thought about the fall of man, and most Christians are here, you're a Christ follower, you understand what the fall of man, but those of you who don't, is we believe in something called original sin. We believe Adam and Eve had lived in a perfect world, and the world was supposed to be perfect, but, but Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, and so they got booted out of the Garden of Eden. But notice with me, God threw them out of the Garden of Eden, and they lost everything that was in the garden for them. But there's one thing that they didn't lose, and one thing that God let us keep, and that was marriage. He let us keep that relationship, and marriage is that kind of thing, and you know when you're with that special person and you can probably look back at moments in your life, even those of you who are now divorced, you probably look back at moments in your life when it was perfect, when it was a good day or a good moment or a good hour. And when marriage is perfect and when it's good, there's nothing like it. When it's bad, there's nothing like it as well, right? But we're talking, we don't want to talk about that today. We're going to talk about being good. Uh, 
John Gottman, who wrote the excellent book that I've been recommending to you called Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, I think two books you should read, three, three books you should read. You should read Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. You should read by John Gottman. You should read The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. And you should, all, everybody should read The Five Love Languages by, by Chapman. But uh, Dr. Gottman says, when, when you get married, you create something that has never existed before. No matter how much you and your partner have in common, no matter how long you've been together, whenever two people choose to become one, the one thing is perfectly, that one thing is perfectly unique. So I conclude from the priority the Bible places on marriage, the study of people like Tim Keller and Dr. Gottman, plus my own years of observation. Happy couples act as if their marriage matters. Happy couples act as if their marriage matters. I want us to think about God today. And I want us to think about Jesus. And I want us to think about how he make it abundantly clear that our relationship, I'm talking about our God relationship, really matters to him. In fact, I wanna, I'll come back to that point later. But he really put it ahead of everything else with our relationship with him. So, Figuring out what communicates our marriage matters is the first thing I want to talk about today. The good news here is there are only a few ways to be happily married, but there are an unlimited number of ways to be miserable. <laughs> you, you think about it. I mean, there's a lot. Of, if we start talking about our unhappiness in our marriages, we'll come up with scenarios that you couldn't even believe. You couldn't even believe some of the things that we do to each other. And, some of the, and, and you ever try to unravel what's wrong in your relationship? It's really hard to unravel what's wrong in your relationship when it's not going well. Because it's really messy and complicated. But you know, this is, this is true. If you, if you don't believe me, just take my word for it. And then after the sermon, you can go do your own research. But I'm going to tell you, this is the truth. There's about... A half a dozen ways to be happy. Maybe a dozen things that you can do for each other. So quit trying to solve your problems. Quit trying to fix what you can't understand, what, what even no one can understand except God himself. So quit trying to fix all your problems. And how about this? This is what I'm presenting in this series. Why don't you start doing the three or four little things that you can manage that might make your marriage better? Instead of spending all your time trying to figure out why she's so difficult and why he's so difficult, why don't you stop that? You're not qualified. <laughs> and only the Holy Spirit knows. So why don't you just say, honey, what can I do to make you happy? And you start doing that. Now, okay, let's all rise for the benediction. We're done. <laughs> no, no, I'll give you, you need to get your money's worth here today. <laughs> Meet um, no, uh, novelist Richard Paul Evans and his wife Carrie. Now you see them dancing, they look really happy, don't they? But for years their marriage was terrible. And uh, they got married, they had unrealistic expectations of marriage. Pretty soon they were just embroiled in petty power struggles, and they got to the point that they barely even acknowledged each other. And you know, if you're here today and you don't think that men 
really care about marriage. Men really do. I'm talking about the average guy. The average guy really cares about marriage. And uh, I mean, uh, country music is proof of that. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of broken-hearted men in country music. A lot. I mean, uh, I listen to country music, and those guys are really in pain because their woman left them or didn't treat them right or something like that. There's a lot more men singing those songs and writing those songs than women. I'm telling you, men really care about having a good relationship with the woman in their life. You know, you heard about that old joke about back. You remember backward masking? I remember we did a, a rock seminar at, at uh, Westville where that guy came in and he played those rock music backward and they had all kinds of satanic messages in them. <laughs> and, and that was great. And, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, they, they said a, a country music guy started playing his records back and he got his car back, he got his truck back, he got his dog back, he got his wife back. <laughs> so back masking. Some of you don't, never heard of back masking, right? But now, now I don't think they can do that with digital recordings. But uh, anyway, the, their marriage was in bad shape, and so, and, and they weren't young anymore. He's 50 years old, 50 years old. One day he's in the shower, and he starts to weep over his marriage. He starts to cry. And he, they, they, he said they knew they loved each other. He loved her. She loved him. But they just couldn't make it work. And this question came to him. This question came to his mind in the shower. Ask her, how can I make your day better? So the next morning, she comes down. And he says, how can I make your day better? She said, she, she didn't say anything for a long time because she was in such shock. She said, well, clean the kitchen. So he cleaned the kitchen. The next day, he asked, how can I make your day better? She said, clean the garage. And he had a really busy day, a lot to do, but he had made a commitment that he was going to do something to make his marriage better. And so he cleaned the garage. The third day, he says, what can I do to make our marriage better? I mean, not, I mean not, I'm sorry, wrong question. What can I do to make your day better? Because if, if, you ask, if you ask your wife how to make your marriage better, you don't want to hear it. It's, it's too much. It's too much. You're turning into a psychologist. Don't try to make her a psychologist. Ask her something she can handle. How can I make your day better? She's, she, she couldn't think of anything. So that went on two weeks. He kept asking the same question every day. Then on day 14 or 15, she said, you know, I should ask you that. And she said, why don't we just spend some time together? And it was a turning point in their marriage because he dared find out what would speak to her, your marriage matters. My wife's similar to that, to Carrie. That's what she would say. You know, she wouldn't say, oh, let's go have a date. She'd say, go clean the garage. That's her love language. And so if I, wanted, if I want her to know she matters, I need to take her car and get it inspected, get the oil changed, get it serviced, and not expect her to do it. Because that's what she understands. That's what says to her, you matter. The Italians have a saying, uh, have two ways of saying love. One is just means I love you. The other is... Uh, pronounced, I believe, Tivoglio Bene, and it means, it means, um, I want good for you. I want good for you. I love that. I love that definition. What if your spouse believed you wanted good for them? What if you acted like that? 
The little book of Malachi, you know, records a time in the history of Israel when God had withdrawn his presence from them. And read the book of Malachi sometimes. He's just challenging Israel to come back because Israel's backslidden. And I, I never really saw it before this, the, the, I started studying for this series. I never really saw it before. It never occurred to me. In, in Malachi chapter 2, he says to them, and I'm going to read the scripture in a minute. He says to them, your marriages are a mess. I want you to pay attention to your marriage. It says, let me read it to you, Malachi 2.15. God, not you, made marriage. Now, God's talking to this nation. It, it would be like if God showed up uh, to talk to America. God says, God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of your marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce. Now, he didn't say I hate divorced people, so don't misread that. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. God of the angel army says, I hate the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. So watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. You see, Israel didn't even realize that the root of their national crisis was treating their marriages like they didn't matter. They were God's people, but they were clueless. The Bible says, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. In the beginning of a romantic relationship, hormones cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> but hormones, it's good, and it's wonderful, it's awesome, and it's part of God's plan, but it's not love. You've got to learn to go beyond the hormones <laughs> and let love cover a multitude of sins. Love involves action, and love involves sometimes even sacrificial action. Note I said that, note with me that I said about the people in Malachi that they were God's people. They were God's people. Uh, they could have told you, listen, they could have told you about their prophetic vision for their nation. But you know, one of the biggest barriers to maintaining joy in your marriage is we make the mistake of trading our marriage for our mission. I said we make the mistake of trading our marriage for our mission. Now, I'm not minimizing the importance of having a mission. That's really important to have a mission. That is a, that is a part of being a healthy, have a healthy marriage is you have a mission. And beyond just yourselves. And especially all, all, Christ following, all Christ followers here this morning, you should have a mission of building the kingdom of God with your marriage. That's really, really important. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to minimize that at all. And there will be another time when I'll certainly preach a sermon or somebody will preach a sermon up here about serving God with your marriage, about, about the mission for your marriage. But don't mistake it. They're not the same. Your mission is not your marriage. Your marriage is supposed to have meaning within itself. Because you have one another, that is supposed to be your, your first mission. So, distinguish marriage from mission. It's very natural when you're trying to accomplish together things, and you're, creating, you're running a business, you're, you have careers, you are get, maybe you're still getting your education, or if you're a Christ follower and you come to this church, we challenge you and want you to serve God with your, with your homes and serve God with your abilities and serve God with your marriage. It, it's, it, it's natural, though, that sometimes we replace our mission with who we are together. Remember Malachi 2, God communicated to Israel with my mission for you as godly children. But he didn't say you need to take a, a, a parenting course. He said, 
I'm turning away from you because you're neglecting your marriage. Tim Keller writes, when I was a young pastor in small southern town, I did a lot of marriage counseling. Some marriages were harmed by things like drink, drugs, pornography, or an extramarital affair. But in most of the troubled marriages I saw, the problem stemmed not from bad things, but from very good things that had become too important. When some good things become good things becomes more engrossing and important than your spouse, it can destroy the marriage. There were many varieties. Sometimes I heard a wife say, his parents' opinion are more important to him than mine. Pleasing them is far more important to him than pleasing me. Or I would hear a husband say, she's totally wrapped up in the kids, in their needs, programs, school, social life. If I need something, she shrugs and says, okay, but it's the kids and their needs that really excite her. Being a mother is much more enjoyable to her than being a wife. I could also hear either a husband or wife say about the other, his or her career is what's really important. Their career gets all their ingenuity, all their time, and all their energy. Keller says this, if your spouse does not feel that you're putting him or her first, then by definition, by definition you aren't. And when that happens, your marriage is dying. In the midst, this is really important, in the midst of, uh, in the Bible, patriarchal cultures where, where children were extremely, extremely important. A lot of the drama that you will see in the Bible is about children and the desire to have children. It was so important. In the midst of that, God says, care about your marriage. God did not put a parent and a child in the Garden of Eden. God put a husband and wife in the Garden of Eden. You know, in fact, researchers tell us that child abuse is not often, it's often not because people don't love their children, but child abuse occurs when a, when a, when a, a parent or a set of parents put so much emphasis on the relationship with their child that that's where they look for love. And they look for love from their child, and when it doesn't happen, they lash out and abuse their child. And listen, they're just, children are children. They shouldn't be expected to give you the intimacy and the friendship and the love that God ordained for your spouse to give you. My son-in-law had to explain. I wanted Christy to be here to tell it because, as you know, she got sick, and that's why she's not here today. But the other day, something happened in their home where Dan said, whatever Christy wants, that's what I want us to do. I want her to be happy. And Aaliyah, my little granddaughter, my beautiful little granddaughter, was shocked. She was shocked. What about our happiness? And Dan explained to her, listen, her happiness, mom over there, is more important to me than yours. And how do you think that made Christy feel? She felt like a million bucks because she told me about it. It's important to have a missional marriage for, toward your children, toward your ministries. But it's important. To, but, but God never intended for you to abandon the marriage for the mission. That's what I'm saying. Well, why else would Paul communicate in 1 Corinthians 7 that because times are so difficult in the New Testament... And people were getting drug off to prison and all this stuff. And he said, he said, it's better to be single like me, Paul said. It's better not to marry. But he said, if you do marry, 
in 1 Corinthians 7. You can go over there and study it for yourself later. He said, if you do marry, make sure you meet one another's needs. To keep you out of immorality, you make sure that you take care of the intimate part of your marriage. He doesn't say, well, the world's in so much trouble, you just don't have time for that. No, he said, you better take time for that. No matter how big, much trouble the world's in, no matter how much the crisis around you that you're supposed to be solving, take care of one another. That is right in the word of God, right? In fact, let me tell you something I saw, and I, I, I wouldn't have believed it. I just hadn't seen it for myself. That Jesus put us before the mission. I, I just, that blew my mind. Because I thought, well, well, Jesus came to die on the cross for my sins so he could have a relationship with me. That wasn't really his mission. His mission was to plant the kingdom of God in the earth. He could have done that much more efficiently if he'd have left us out of it. <laughs> he, could have, he could have brought a legion of, a legions and thousands of armies from heaven, destroyed the Roman Empire, and in one day could have set up his kingdom. But you were his bride. And he wanted to have an intimate relationship with you. And that's where we get the whole idea of Jesus is my personal Savior. You know, before, before the Gospels were written, nobody ever talked about God being their personal Savior. It was all national. God ne we never talked about that, Steve. We never talked about God being our personal Savior. Until Jesus came, he died on the cross. He didn't die on the cross just to establish his kingdom on the earth. He could have done that without the cross. And this, this is getting good. This is getting good. He could have done that without the cross. He died on the cross because he's in love with you. He died on the cross because he wanted to be intimate with you. He wanted to walk with you and talk with you and be a part of your life and have fun with you and have joy with you and have a life of praise and worship. That's why he died on the cross. And he says, what is, what is marriage? Marriage is a human object lesson of a divine relationship. Marriage is a human object lesson of a divine relationship. So you treat your marriage the way Jesus treated you, you're going to have, if, if, if both of you get on the same page, and I know that's not always, always possible, I understand that. We're not going to, we, I said from the beginning, we're not going to fix every marriage in this series. But if I can get two of you even close to being on the same page, saying you're going to exemplify the relationship that God, that Christ has with his church, watch out. You're going to have a happy marriage. And the kids are going to benefit, the church is going to benefit, the community is going to benefit. Everybody's going to benefit. You know what else is really important? Establish rituals and routines that announce your marriage matters. Even God's into that. He says, go to church. <laughs> I don't feel like going to church, but I go to church anyway. It's a ritual and a routine that says, I say to God, you matter to me, and God says, you matter to me. He says, pray. He says, take communion. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. God establishes all kinds of routines and rituals for us saying that our relationship is really important. And that's also, what's really cool is you, you get to decide. You get to decide what rituals and routines are important to you. Like Bill Doherty reports that every night after dinner, the dishes are cleaned up and he and his wife have a cup of coffee. And for 30 minutes, the kids are not allowed to come in 
the area where they're having coffee. And they don't, they're also don't allow themselves to talk about the children for 30 minutes. They don't talk about the children. They talk about each other and drink coffee for 30 minutes every night. The kids know their marriage matters. John Gottman writes, My first date with my wife was January 11, 1996. Because I'm a creative genius, we went to dinner in a movie. And because I'm a big spender, we went to the Olive Garden. And after enjoying never-ending breadsticks and a tour of Italy, we went to see the American president movie. Because I'm a hopeless romantic, I proposed exactly one year later in a grocery store parking lot. Hope it was Whole Foods. Later that night, we went to dinner at the Olive Garden and watched the American president on VHS. Remember those? Because I'm a sucker for ritual, we've repeated that tradition each of the last 19 years. In our relationship, January 11th is our most important day of it's more important than the day of our anniversary. That one ritual has sustained a sense of romance and permanence that we vigorously protect and cherish. We have gotten more than a few free Italian desserts and have pretty much memorized the movie. They also, once a year, take a week, and they go to this beautiful area, and they take their kayak, and they visit art galleries and art studios and hike trails, and they spend the week catching up, dreaming together, and sometimes fighting. You have to do that sometimes. And they clear the air. Rituals. See, spontaneity is, is a good thing. Spontaneity, when you're first married, no kids, you know, taking off weekend, work, lovemaking, all those things. Be really spontaneous. But if you're going to maintain a happy marriage, you can't rely on spontaneity. You've got to put, you know, think about it. You stood at an altar with that person one day and you said, I will honor and cherish you until death do us part. Well, put honoring and esteeming the one that you stood at that altar with before God and promised to love, honor, and cherish. Put it on your schedule. Put it in your life. Our Lord was busy ruling the universe, He was comfortable. In an undisturbed paradise. But his heart couldn't be happy without you and I. So he walked away from all his responsibilities for three years. He walked away from the comfort. He walked away from the luxury to live out the message. Our relationship matters. He knew it wasn't going to be easy. He knew we were going to be resistant. And that every single action associated with the incarnation would need to say you matter to me. I love you. Years ago, I wrote, oh, the nail scars in his hands say I love you. The, near, the spear pierce in his side say the same thing too. Oh, the pain and the shame that he went through. There the Lord did say in a special way that I love you. Some of you will live these principles out in other covenant relationships other than marriage. But I believe we're all called to share the message and we're all called to share in sending the message our marriage matters I want to invite you to stand here's how I want to end this series I, we, we normally have communion every Sunday but I decided to put it aside today because I wanted to end by praying for you couples and so if you would be so kind I'm going to ask every person who's married, if you're with your spouse, that's great, but if you're not, 
you, I still want you to come. And I want to invite you all to come down here and stand with me, stand across the front, facing me. And we're going to pray for and dedicate our marriages to God today. So again, if you're here without your spouse, uh, you, come, you come just the same. Now, I realize from the get-go that, yeah, many of you are not married, you're single. Let me tell you, you have a very special ministry in the church to help us build our marriages. You have a very special ministry. Sometimes you will have wise counsel for us that those of us who are involved in a marriage, we won't be able to see the forest for the trees. And you'll be able to look inside of our lives. And, and, and in so many ways, you that are single can serve the marriages of a church. And we really need you on board. We really need you on board to do that. That's why I was willing to preach a series that I know some people wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't directly apply to. Now, uh, if you're dating, if you're with someone you're dating, you come down with them as well. I know we have a, an engaged couple here coming. And so if you're dating, you come with your, your, your date, your, your boyfriend or girlfriend, you come with them. Now, I just feel really special about this moment. I really feel the Holy Spirit here right now because as important as the work of God is, and it's so important, it's so important that we try to build a great church. But an, an old pastor, back when Sherry and I first got married and we spent a couple of weeks uh, hanging out with him and spending time with him in Albuquerque, New Mexico, he said to us one day, the worker is more important than the work. And I've never, ever forgotten it. The worker is more important than the work. You know, one of the things you can do to help build this church is build your marriage. Build your marriage. Because let me tell you, there's a, there are people out there who need Jesus. And if they look at us and they come in here and they see that's a place full of great marriages, they're going to want to know our Jesus. If they look in here and our marriages are a mess, but we love Jesus, they're going to say, I don't think I want that Jesus. You say, well, they should be more spiritual. They should be so, well, if they were more spiritual, they'd already be saved. If they were more spiritual, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't be out there. They'd already be in here leading the church. So we got we to gotta show them the way. Amen. Now, Lord Jesus, I just pray that an anointing oil of healing will flow down on every couple. I pray an anointing oil of healing and, and rest will fall on every marriage in this room. And you will just cause joy to spring up in these relationships. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Let's give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. Have a great day and find out how you can make their day better. <laughs>